I'm Olympic and world champion diver, Laura Wilkinson, and this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Each week, we are unlocking the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports. This episode is brought to you by our amazing sponsor, Katsu Global. Katsu has made a huge difference in my life, both in strength and recovery. So I am very thankful for their support of this podcast. I'll tell you more about Katsu later on in this episode. I've known today's guest for about 30 years. We have been through a lot together. We competed against each other as gymnasts and we became teammates and friends as divers. I mean, not many things will bring you closer than the trauma of learning 10 meter platform together. We have fought, we have cried, we've consoled, we've laughed. Oh, have we laughed. We watched each other get married and have families. She has cheered me on every step of the way through my ups and downs on my Olympic journey. And I have watched in awe as she climbed the ranks from an account executive up to the president of business operations for the Houston Rockets. Gretchen Shear was a U.S. national finalist in diving while we were still in high school. She earned a scholarship to LSU where she lettered all four years and then graduated with a marketing degree. She started at the Rockets back in 2001 as a season ticket account executive. Now Gretchen is the fourth woman to currently lead the business operations of an NBA team. In 2017, Gretchen was named one of Sports Business Journal's 40 Under 40, which each year recognizes top young professionals in the business of sports. She's also a founding board member of Wise Houston and is a member of the Executive Women's Partnership. Gretchen has always been a straight shooter, but with a good storytelling flair. She's funny and raw and tells us exactly what it takes to work your way to the top. You may already know that mental training is my absolute passion, and it's what I became so good at throughout my career. Well, recently I've started personally coaching athletes on their mindset and performance. From juniors to pros, diving to shooting, athletes have started trusting me with their biggest struggles and left our calls smiling with renewed hope and more confidence. Some of the best things that came out of these coaching sessions were that athletes realize they're not the only ones dealing with their struggles. Whether it's mental blocks, anxiety, injuries, pressure, or just flat out frustration, Through our calls, athletes are beginning to understand that there are ways to move past these often devastating roadblocks. Sometimes it's just helpful to have someone who's been in your shoes help guide you out of the woods. And friend, I have definitely been there. If one-on-one coaching with me is something that you want to learn more about, just go to laurawilkinson.com slash coaching. That's laurawilkinson.com slash coaching, or just click the link in the show notes. Before we start, make sure you smash that subscribe button and give us a five-star review. If you are loving the pursuit of gold podcast, please tell your friends about this podcast so that we can continue to improve and grow to that next level, bringing you more resources, tools, and inspiration. All right. I believe that there's gold in your future. So let's dive on into this episode. Gretchen Shear, welcome to the Pursuit of Gold podcast. I am so excited we are doing this in your house with a glass of amazing wine with a diver on the label. This is going to be awesome. Yes, I have not had this wine and I'm so excited. (laughs) I'm very excited about the label and it is delicious. Yes. So, okay, for so many people who are watching may know you are this incredible woman, you know, just tackling like the NBA from the corporate side. You are breaking all these barriers, shattering all these glass ceilings. 
But I want to start at the very beginning because that's what I love to do with people because it all has a beginning. And you and I are teammates. Uh, First, we were gymnastics competitors. Then we became diving teammates. And we have so many stories there, which I'm sure some might come out tonight. But but walk us through like your experience as an athlete, gymnastics, diving, whatever, and, and kind of just take us through the beginning. Yeah. So early, I don't even know how I started in gymnastics. Like I'm trying to think through that as we were talking. I can't, I think my, I have a twin brother. I believe we were both enrolled is just something to do and to get the wiggles out as most, you know, most parents and and most kids start out in gymnastics. And I loved it. Like I loved the challenge. I loved trying new things. I liked Apparently, I like getting yelled at by <laughs> by coaches periodically, and I was good at it, and so I like doing it. And then, like anything in life, you kind of blink, and years have gone by, and you don't realize what's happened. And so, next thing you know, I'm at a level where I'm competing and trying to compete at a national level, and I was setting goals for myself, and I was old enough to know you know, middle school, junior high that I had goals. I, at this point, I knew I wasn't going to the Olympics. Like early on in gymnastics, by the time you're 12, you know if the Olympics is an option or not. So Unfortunately, yeah, reality. Yeah. That's so at 12, like I realized that the Olympics were not going to happen, but I loved the sport. And so I just decided that that was something that I wanted to do in college. And my family's from Louisiana. And so I set a goal that I was going to be a gymnast at LSU. And it just- Oh, see, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. So it came into my head. I did a couple, my family, you know, all of my extended family, I, I was raised outside of Houston, but most of my extended family is all still in Louisiana. So I would go back there. I did one of their gymnastics camps. So I was in that space. And then, you know, eighth grade girl stuff comes along. And I had, I had just gone to junior nationals for the first time as a gymnast. So I knew I was, I was getting to the level, but I couldn't go to movies. I couldn't go hang out at the mall because I had practice and I was getting torn between things. And I had like a pretty minor injury mm-hmm. that, you know, a year or two before I would have shaken off and not worried about it. And I just, in my head, I like wasn't ready to go back to practice. And, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of weeks went by and I was like, maybe I just don't want to do this anymore. And my parents were like, look, you don't have to do this anymore. Like if that's not what you want to do, like, that's fine. But they were like, but you have to tell your coach, right? You have to go have the hard conversation and this has to be your decision. Yeah. How old were you? I was in eighth grade. Okay. Yeah. So I was finished the end of my, it was, I had finished eighth grade year. Like I'd gone to practice. So it was sometime between eighth grade and my freshman year. And so I remember telling my coach, like she was awesome, you know, tried to tell me not to, to Mm -hmm. make it be a temporary break. And so we decided that it was going to be a temporary break, but like, like anything, like most temporary breaks end up being, end up being longer, unless it's you, right? And then it just, <laughs> then they just keep, then they just keep going. So anyway, I stopped gymnastics, put gymnastics. By the time my freshman year came, so I had the summer off. I swam in the summers mm-hmm. because like neighborhood swim teams are a really big deal mm-hmm. um, in Texas. And I was pretty good at it just because I was. Is that why strong. your kids do it now? My kids do it now because I just think it was such a wonderful experience for like to get to know your neighbors and it was fun mm-hmm. and it like teaches an independence. I mean, all sports teach an independence, but like for swimming, it's, you know, you're five, six. I mean, I started summer league swim team when I was five, right? I didn't go to a lot of practices. Did you do it while you did gymnastics? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I didn't go to a ton of practices, you know, as I got more advanced in, in gymnastics, but I was still allowed to do the meets and I would find one or two practices a week that I could go to. 
like you have like six-year-olds that have to, and there's team moms and they take you to the bench, right? But you have to like sit behind the block at six or seven and be ready to move to like the next block and then be ready to move to the next block, right? And as a kid, clearly I did not realize that this was a big deal. But as a parent, it's like the independence and the confidence and the and getting over your fears and the thing that mm-hmm. that teaches. And, and all sports have it in a different way, but that's why I've liked swimming. And the parents are awesome. And some of the swim team parents are some of our closest friends. Yeah, so I swam for a little bit. So freshman year in high school, I tried out for the swim team and I made the JV swim team, even though I hadn't spent a ton of time swimming. I just was naturally like a relatively decent athlete. So I was swimming JV my freshman year in high school. And I I was not a huge fan of just, I like swimming. It's, I still swim a little bit for a little bit of exercise to this day, but like to do that many hours all the time, I just don't get it. God bless the swimmers. <laughs> I know technically we're still teammates with them, but, um, and the JV swim team and the diving team had the same period. It was the end of, it was like six period or whatever at school. And so Sabrina, if you're listening, um, Sabrina was a diver and she was like, weren't you a gymnast? Like, why are you swimming? You should try diving. So my entire freshman year, every single day in the locker room, Sabrina would co- try to convince me to quit swimming. And so at the end of my freshman year, I agreed going into the summer that I would go to a practice with Sabrina just to see what it was like. Diving but I was going to swim. Like I was a pretty good swimmer. I was doing well in JV. I was probably going to make varsity if I committed to it. And I went to practice and Kenny was like, try this, do this, do that. And then after it, he was like, what do you want to do? I don't know. Like I just, <laughs> Sabrina made me do this. And um and he said, well, when you were a gymnast, what did you want to do? And I was like, I wanted to go to LSU and be on the gymnastics team. And he's like, well, you can do that, you know, in diving. People can progress pretty quickly if they were gymnasts, but you have to commit. And, you know, Kenny's doing the Kenny, the Kenny spiel. But he was like, but you are not going to be on this team if you are not committed. So if you're committed, you can start on Monday. <laughs> and if you're not, you know, like, think about it. And so I talked to my parents. And I started on Monday. And I think you started the next Monday, right? Probably. Like I was it was about say, the, how far apart were we? Yeah, we were pretty close. And then we were on our high school team the next, yeah. well, part yeah. of the next year until yeah. I got the boot. But yeah, Kenny, for those who don't know, who haven't heard this podcast before, I've talked about it many times, but Kenny Armstrong is our longtime coach, good, good friend. Uh, and he's, yeah, he's awesome and full of stories. But so you got the opportunity. You did amazing. Like we were in this group of all ex-gymnasts that kind of all started within like six months of each other, I think. I always credit like that's why we all got so good so fast because we were pushing each other and we were competitive, but yet we were really good friends. And so I think that was a really good drive. And we all went to school on scholarships like that was a pretty cool, I mean, memories for me and like and like how we all kind of came up together. But what's your memory of that time and like coming up and then getting that scholarship to LSU for diving? Once you move out into like a different realm of life and you look back at things and I'm outside of our friend group. So we've all stayed like such amazing friends, which is just so special in its own right. It's like, it's just compartmentalized. And so when I think back at times, there's like, oh my God, I never, like the way that you stated how we all started together. I've literally never thought about that. Really? Yeah, never. I I mean, no, I mean, all all of us starting together, Mm -hmm. I've always known like, oh, we all started. But the reality of you don't start a sport 
until you're going into your sophomore year, which now, given how competitive everything is, like if you're not getting like if you're not getting school, recruited right. by your sophomore year now, like right. parents well, that's and true, kids, you can commit as a junior. Parents are like freaked out about it. Like I, you know, our my kids are going into high school, and some of our friends' kids are older, and they're they're really good athletes, and they're talking about this stuff at an age that I'm like, I wasn't even. I hadn't even started in the sport Mm -hmm. that I went to college on a scholarship for that I like was relatively decent at Mm -hmm. at a time where parents these days are like freaking out if their kids aren't even getting recruited. And so just the world has changed a little bit. Some of that is the dynamic of the sport, right? Mm -hmm. Transitioning from a sport that has a natural transition. We have a skill set. Yeah, you have a skill set and you just have to change from like, you know, landing on your feet to landing on your head. It's kind of a big difference. It's a little bit of a big difference. Like it's a complete, you know, it's a 180 degree difference. (laughs) Um, But once you figure that out, you can progress at a level that, you know, it could take, you know, when you think about it, it's there was 10 years of development before that. Mm -hmm. It was just in a different area. And so, yeah, so the the ramp up is is a little bit different. But I had never thought about it in the sense that, you know, trust me, I thought a lot about the years about our competitiveness and like that <laughs> dynamic, but how many of us were going through the same thing at the same time and how that impacts your development. Like yeah. I hadn't thought about it through that realm until we're sitting here tonight. So. Well, I always thought it was really powerful because I mean, we would egg each other on, but then support each other in the process. Like, and I remember one time we were learning something on five meter and I specifically remember this because I totally got my just reward. We were doing backflip one and a half twists off five meter for the first time. And you went before me and you ate it on your I face. Probably, I mean, I probably ate it and a we lot. Were, right? We were like dying yeah. laughing because it was it was just, it was rough. And then I did the exact same thing after, right after. laughing at yeah. you. And I was like, I totally just earned that. So, but it was good because we kept pushing and we would laugh and we would cry together and all the things. And I think there's something, it's like that trauma bonding, right? When you go through that with a group of people. Yeah. And probably when, whenever you feel like you're doing anything new and you're, it always feels like you're the only person that has ever gone through right. whatever it is that you're going through, right? Whether it's a challenge or trauma or grief or whatever, it's like the only person that's ever done that, right? And and you seek out people with similar experiences. And when you don't have to seek them out, they're standing like three feet behind you, you know, it's, <laughs> It's a little bit easier. And and the and the thing in your head is like, what's the worst thing that can possibly happen? Oh, what Gretchen just did is the worst thing that can possibly happen. And she's still alive and it hurts right. a little bit, but I can, you know, I can do that too. And at least, you know, in your head, you build it up. And when when other people and you can share those experiences right off the bat, it makes it a little bit easier. Yeah. Well, and I think for girls, especially too, because girls can be very catty with each other, especially as teenagers. And I'm sure we all had those moments, but Overall, we really, I feel like we're very supportive of each other because our friendship was stronger than I, I feel like our competitiveness was. Maybe I'm misremembering, but like right. to me, <laughs> the memories I have and the friendships and the yeah. funny moments and like the stuff we did in between the diving and spending the night at each other's houses yeah. and, and the meat experiences, like that's what I remember from it, not any of the other stuff. And I think that's because you were winning all the time. <laughs> Some of us have more traumatic <laughs> memories of. The competitive part. So, all right, all right. <laughs> Go from that. Nice. Anyways, so walk us through then. Here, we'll just completely walk to a different <laughs> topic. This is where she gets really embarrassed that she has a lot of medals and I do not. So, anyways, okay. So, we get to the point where we're all being recruited. It was back like senior year then, not 
not junior year, a little bit different, but what was that kind of process like? And you're getting to go to LSU, all your dreams are coming true. What was that experience like? Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know how much of a possibility it was going to be because I really did not get to a senior where I was competing at the senior level until my senior year. And so it was probably summer nationals going into my senior year for the first time that I was seen at a senior level. And then really that spring, which is like April, right? mm-hmm. so you're graduating right after that, before I was like actually competing at a level that would be not at the first time, like, oh, I've seen this person compete. And so my goal at that point was not LSU, right? It was, I want to dive anywhere. And I was, you know, I had good grades. I was relatively smart. Like I had. She's really smart. Um, Y'all don't believe what she's saying. <laughs> I had, you know, I was telling my daughter this the other day and she was like, what? You never told me that. It's like, there's things about my life that, you know, teenage girls like have a hard time accepting sometimes. But, you know, there were Ivy League schools that have programs and that recruiting process is obviously very different. And so, you know, I had letters and inquiries of of the ability to do that if, you know, you can pay your own way and you can you can do those things. And that was something that I explored. But I also wanted to know just from a competitive standpoint, I get asked this all the time about like, would you do a sport in college, whether it's an, a scholarship or not? And what if your family can afford it? And is that the right thing to do or not? And it's not really about the scholarship, right? It's really about knowing that somebody else is validating mm. your skill set, right? Yeah. At, at that level. And so that's that's the important part. You know, obviously the financial part is super important, right? But the second part is somebody values what I bring to the table. We could talk later about whether that's work or professionalism or, or through your through your athleticism. And so yeah, it just so happened that LSU and Alabama were the two schools that were interested, which is kind of funny because they're huge rivals and my family's from LSU and I loved Alabama. Like I had a great time on my recruiting trip. I love the coach that was there. Like it was really, I was like, oh my God, like my dream has always been to go to LSU and to be an athlete at LSU. <laughs> like I might actually go to go to Alabama. And I had a great time. I had a great time at LSU and I was, I was having, and I kind of tweaked my back around that second senior national time frame that we talked about. And Scott Rich was the coach at LSU at the time. And just the way that he handled this, you know, it's at the end of the recruiting situation and just the way that he handled the situation and, and our conversations through that part and how you get through things that you can't control. So there's controllable challenges that you have as an athlete that you can get over on your own. And then there's injury things that you, that are not your fault, but it's an obstacle in your way. And that generally is, ends up, I mean, half of life's battles. And I just felt really comfortable in the situation. And that was kind of the deciding factor to, to go to LSU. And so full circle mm-hmm. ended back at, you know, and I mean, dream well, school on a college, you know, on a, on a scholarship that the different sport, different path mm-hmm. to get there, but you know, same goal. Well, that sometimes we have these dreams and we think we have these plans to get there and our plans totally get derailed, but still the dream can be achieved. We just took a totally different path to get there. And it's kind of, you know, it's kind of cool. And I don't know, it's just neat because who you become along the journey is really, it's so much more sometimes than the actual thing we're going after, you know, but what, what was your college experience like? Cause you competed all four years you did well. Like what was your, I guess your favorite takeaway from college? Like, was it the team aspect? Was it just diving at that level? Like what were your kind of favorite parts of collegiate diving? Yeah. I mean, I just, I do not do well in like quiet or calm. (laughs) Like I schedule all of our vacations. Like I have to know, like, and 
obviously everybody schedules like I schedule like what are we doing on Monday? What are we doing on Tuesday? <laughs> and it could be we could be taking four days and like just going to a beach and like staying on a resort and doing nothing. But I'm like, are we gonna go to breakfast as a family? Are we gonna just have coffee? Are we gonna like I'm totally cool with a day that is nothing. Like today is the day that we're doing nothing. But I, the day before that, I have to know that the next day is a nothing. You have to schedule in. Like I just, yes. Like I have to know what's happening. Right. And so for college and competing and like the structure of like knowing that I had to wake up in the morning, knowing that there was somewhere to be, knowing that I was accountable to my teammates, my coach, my, I had a responsibility because I had a scholar, you know, all of these things. Mm -hmm. I just it made like it took my stress levels down while it could Isn't add funny? <laughs> like it could add stress in a lot of different ways. Like, hey, by the way, like if you screw up, you're gonna have to pay for your own school. That could be super stressful. But for me, it gave the structure. And I'm a really outgoing social person. Like I think people no. that have met me like know <laughs> that. But I also like my people, right? Like I'm much more comfortable, like with my people. Like mm-hmm. I don't have to know everyone. Like I don't love small talk. I can do it. I'm good at it. You know, my job requires it, but like I like deep relationships with a circle of people and that college experience when when you're an athlete or or if there's something else that you're into that you're committed to, like that finding that group was probably my favorite part of it. Because I mean it's a big school. Yeah. And you can get lost like really easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never been like the fraternity sorority, like Greek, like environment. Like I never understood it in the sense that that's something that would be my lifestyle, but I get it where it's like, that's your people, that's your purpose. You have a mission and it makes the world that's super big, smaller and having that experience with, you know, a amazing group of divers, but also a pretty cool group of swimmers. They were, they were good too. And then just the, you know, you end up with, and those people that are athletes, like, and when you're on the college schedule, it's like people that have the same cadence of what their workout is. Mm-hmm. And when you go to the training room and when you eat and what that schedule looks like. And we were on a similar schedule with like some of the field athletes, in track and field. And so we became close with some of those athletes and their experience is very different. So that was probably my favorite part. I love Football that. was not good when I was at LSU. <laughs> like it did not get good until the later part. So that is, that is something I have enjoyed more as an alumni <laughs> than I did as a student. Um, but that was just yeah, speaking truth. That was my <laughs> yeah. Well, I love that. I love that insight to it. That's a great, great perspective to have, especially for people walking in, like not knowing what to expect, maybe being overwhelmed or scared. Like those are awesome things to look forward to. And before we started recording, before the pizza came, before your mom came over, (laughs) before all the things happened, we were talking about, you alluded to it a little bit, how people have asked you if you could go to a division two school and play soccer, or do you go to this amazing, you know, Ivy league school and get all the degrees and all the things like, which one do you choose? And you said the D2 school and play soccer. Like, tell me about your, your thoughts around all of that. That's like a really good Ivy league school. Like that one might, <laughs> that might change. You know, I just think that like life is just super competitive sometimes. Right. And it's, hard to find like it's always a keeping up with the joneses it's always trying to find your place or your people and i think work can give people amazing experiences and i think when you go a route where you have the option to be in part of a team and to be an athlete 
Or if you're an athlete and you choose to end your career, you know, and go down a different path, like eventually you're going to do that. Right. Right. And so I just think prolonging it is better. Um, <laughs> but I also think that the that's skills, I took that advice just right. so you guys. Know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that, you know, just the skills that you learn and the constant change and challenges and every single day knowing even if you're tired, even if you don't want to do it, you have to get up and be there for yourself. You have to be accountable. You have to be there. If you're in a team sport, you have to be there for your team. If you're in an individual sport, you have to do that for yourself. I just think it's it's a lesson that sport and probably if you're a singer or an actor or a musician or an artist, like there's similar things. Just for me, it was it was under the athletic realm. I just think that that's something that carries you through life at a level. I mean, I'm probably more of a morning person than most people, but like, I don't get up at five minutes anymore and go to the <laughs> pool. Like that is, I did that long enough, not doing it anymore, right? But my version of a morning person is probably different. Like you don't have a choice. Like if you decide to go out too late the night before, like still got to get up at 5.30 and get to the pool and stretch and that workout's going to be a little bit harder. And you just learn consequences right. of your own actions at, at a level that that is hard I feel like Otherwise, you learn them faster in a you learn them, Yeah, you learn you just learn those things harder. And at the time that you're going through them, like I didn't know any of this when I was in my 20s, obviously. And even in my 30s, I didn't know it. It's only kind of at this point in my career when I get asked these questions a lot now that I'm in the position that I'm in. And I look back and reflect, you know, of things from 25 years ago. How did that shape me today? I think that that's when you realize, you know, how much you learn like you're you have a full-time job that has the pressure on you mm -hmm. that you might not some people realize I didn't realize it at the time right but when, once I got into work I was like oh going to practice and dealing with my coach was a lot harder than dealing with a boss for the first time right <laughs> and those are really hard transitions in life mm -hmm. to deal with like someone's going to tell you they think your work is good Someone's going to tell you they think your work is bad. Someone's going to tell you you're not as good as you thought that you are. Someone's going to tell you that somebody else is better and deserves X, Y, and Z. And those are really, really, really hard lessons to learn. And when you go through it, go through life like as an athlete, like you hear that every single day, all day, every day, multiple times a day <laughs> that this wasn't good enough, that was bad, or this was good. So you learn how to take a compliment and recognize what you're doing well and make that even better. And you learn how to take negative feedback in a constructive way and correct yourself. And those are crazy hard life lessons to learn that all throughout college and even prior to that. It sounds so simple when you say it, but like in yeah, retrospect, it yeah. takes so long to like yeah. figure that out for sure. I started using Katsu when I discovered it could be used for recovery. After speaking with a Navy SEAL friend that had used Katsu to help him recover from traumatic injuries, I decided to give it a try for an ongoing tricep issue I had. Within the first week, I noticed the cramping I had in my tricep would completely stop after a Katsu session. It also helped me recover much faster after platform workouts. After seeing such great recovery, I started to add Katsu into some strength training and plyometric workouts as well. And the craziest side effect that I noticed was that I was hardly ever sore after a workout I did while wearing the Katsu bands. I feel like Katsu has given me the ability to get stronger while recovering faster. 
Katsu is the pioneer and gold standard of the emerging blood flow restriction market. Navy SEALs, world champions, and gold medalists use Katsu daily for improved performance, quicker rehabilitation, and unprecedented recovery from hard workouts, intense competitions, and even jet lag. Katsu was invented in Japan and has been used at every winter and summer Olympics since 1988. Katsu Global offers a variety of easy-to-use products that can be used safely and effectively in the comfort of your home, office, or during travel. It can be used for any workout or between training and competitions for recovery. Check it out at www.katsu.com. That's K-A-A-T-S-U dot com. Now, did you always want to work in the sports world, like after college, was that always something you wanted to do? No, I mean, I never thought about what I wanted to do. Like people ask me all the time, like when you were growing up, what'd you want to do? I was like, I have no idea. Like, I don't ever remember thinking about that, right? Mm-hmm. When I was a gymnast, I thought about what the next meet was and what I wanted to do and what my goal was for that year and what my goal was for the next year. And then I got a, like, I never thought about what I wanted to do for a career, you know, and then you're going into college and I did really well in the ACTs and math. I always liked math. I did really well in math. And so I took this thing and I was like, you should be a civil engineer. I was like, I'm going to be a civil engineer. Like <laughs> I never thought about that. I don't even know what it is. I think you build bridges and roads and <laughs> help plan communities. I'm still not even sure. So they will tell you going into college as an athlete, like don't declare a major super early because if you have to change, it can affect your eligibility. I don't even know if it, that, that's still the case anymore. But when we were going to school, it was. So I didn't declare a major and I just took classes that could go anywhere. But I took really, really hard math classes. Like I was in like calculus three as a freshman. And I think I'd made like one B and I got a C in that class. And I thought it was literally, I thought it was the end of the world and that I wasn't going to survive it. And I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Like I can't, I don't, one thing that I don't do, I don't do things I'm not good at. Mm. Like I just don't do it. Like (laughs) I'll try it. And then I realize that I'm not good at it. I'm like, no, thank you. I'm going to move on. (laughs) And so I realized that I'm talented in math, but I'm not talented enough in math (laughs) to be an engineer or to continue in really hard math classes. And so I decided business was a better path because I was missing a lot of school because of meets. Those math classes are like five days a week. And Mm so, you know, you miss a lot pretty quickly. And so I switched to a business major. I took a live event marketing class as an elective at LSU and I was just telling the LSU alumni like publication, the story. So this woman, Jenny Peters, was the professor. And our project was to put on a pep rally for the football team, which was not as talented. You know, I mean, I'm sure they were super talented. Sorry, everyone. (laughs) But they were not as competitive, I should say, as the teams are today. And so we put on a pep rally that happened like on a bar (laughs) at a bar (laughs) off campus. And it was really fun. And I was the team leader and I led the project and we had great attendance at this event. And I remember her telling me like, you can do this for a career. I'm like, I can throw parties at a bar for a career. Like that's <laughs> not, that sounds amazing. <laughs> like I should do that. And she's like, no, like you should think about like, you're really passionate about sports. Like you feel, you know, about what that does for the athlete and their, their life after college. And you should think about that. I was like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. But my, my official major was business with a marketing specialty. The next class that I took, I had to, it was a business writing class and you had to choose a career and every assignment that they gave you was based on that career. So I had to write like a persuasive paper about it. I had to do an interview with someone. Like you just had to do a bunch of different things. And so I chose sports marketing as that area. 
and then you blink, like we talked about earlier, mm -hmm. and a year has gone by and I was graduating. So I was like, I guess I'll try to get a job in sports marketing. And, <laughs> you know, that's and so, so what happened. What was that? Because you didn't you initially get offered a job at the Rockets, but you didn't want that one? No. So it wasn't with the Rockets. So oh, initially, okay. so most of the jobs that you can get in sports, it's a super competitive industry. A bunch mm -hmm. of people want to go into it. It sounds really sexy. It's really cool. Obviously, I like it. I've been doing it for over 20 years. But most of the jobs, like at an entry level job that are, I want to say, easier to get. And they're easier to get because there's more of them, mm -hmm. because more of the positions is selling tickets. And so coming out of LSU, I had a couple of offers to sell tickets at teams. I was like, sell tickets. Like I want to work in marketing. Marketing is cool. And so I took a job in marketing and didn't take with one franchise with a minor league team versus ticket sales jobs. And after about a year, that minor league team folded. It was a minor league indoor soccer team. And then I took the job selling tickets because <laughs> that was the next one that was available. And that ended up like I ended up sort of like being in gymnastics and diving. Like there was there was a talent. I was relatively good at it. And it was the right timing with technology changing and like just different things in the industry that enabled me to kind of catapult relatively quickly in that. Well, and so, so walk us through that because I mean, you, you have been with Rockets, like you said, over 20 years, which is so uncommon these days. You know, it used to be people spent their whole careers with like one job or one business, you know, one organization, whatever. And now it's like people are jumping and going to things, you know, every three or five years or whatnot. And you have been with the Rockets for over 20 years and you started in the ticket sales and you have just worked your way up and are now the president. And I just want to note, like, obviously you don't just go all the way to president the first day, like just like anything else, just like a sport, you have to start at the beginning and like work your way up. But there's some cool things that were happening. I think when you started with them as you were developing and becoming like the director of, of ticket sales and things like that. So kind of walk us through like those beginning phases. Yeah. So when I first started at the Rockets, it was before Toyota Center was built. So they were still playing at Compact Center, which is previously the Summit, which is where they had won their championships. It was in the early 2000s. So it was 2001. It's about five, six years after kind of the championship runs and some successful years after that. And the team was not winning a lot of games at the time. And so you had a couple of things happening. The franchise was going through a change. They were rebuilding the team and they were about to change venues and change locations, right? So they were going to move from an area of town to downtown. And instead of the Rockets renting the facility, the organization was going to also operate it, which meant that the company was going to grow. And a lot of those responsibilities that were someone else's were going to go under the Rockets. And so when I started there, the organization was growing and kind of the mindset and the culture was changing and there was a lot of adapting to change. And so that created a lot of opportunity for growth. It also created a lot of people leaving the organization because change in life is not easy and sometimes it sucks. And so as I got there, I was developing my skill and my craft and doing pretty well at the same time things were changing and positions were opening. And so I was able to progress in my career probably at a level faster than mm -hmm. would have existed had I gone, had I taken a different job at a different team. It was a coincidence that I ended up back in Houston. Like I, I would have taken any job and the Rockets one was was open and it was a good one. Yeah. And so that that's kind of what happened. And then a couple of years later, you know, we moved, we moved into the arena and, and same thing, right? Change was happening. And and then it got to a point where external opportunities started to exist. At that point, I was older. You know, I had gotten married. I 
was thinking about having a family. Then I had a family. Then I had twins. Right. And it's then then you're just balancing. Like I have a really good life and I've got my people and I've got my circle and I'm doing well. And is the grass always greener? And so, you know, periodically those opportunities would come up and sometimes just the grass wasn't greener. And sometimes they happened at the same time that internally things were changing and I got the chance to grow. But like, if you would have asked me 20 years ago, like, are you still going to be at the Rockets? I'd be like, no, nobody's ever <laughs> there that long. Right. And the only way to, it's just hard. Like it's, it's, it's a competitive industry. And, and typically, and I tell people that want to go into this industry all the time, like, what do you need to do? I'm like, you need to be prepared to take risks and to move if growing your career is kind of the most important thing, which it always, which not saying that it is like everybody needs to live their own life and create their own path and not necessarily follow other people. And they're like, but you didn't leave. And I was like, no, but <laughs> like, <laughs> I went into it knowing that I would likely have to at some point. It just, I didn't. Okay. You know. <laughs> so I know <laughs> you grew some roots and that's right. not a bad thing. Yeah. But okay. So for someone like you that's coming in or somebody who's looking at doing this, I mean, do you go in with big goals of going, I want to be president of business operations one day, or I want to be COO, or do you just say, I'm here, what can I do next? Like how somebody who wants to be successful in this kind of industry, like how do they need to set their mindset? Like what is it that they need to have like goals for? How do they set goals? How do they kind of move forward? Yeah, I mean, I've I've always been a real like I'm a realist. So I mean, we talked earlier on about gymnastics, right? I was 12 and I look, I wanted to go to the Olympics. Everybody wants to go to the Olympics. Who doesn't want to go? Right. And now that my kids know you and they know a gold medal, they're like, Miss Laura has a gold medal. Why don't you have a gold medal? So like, fun fact, don't be friends with Laura. Otherwise, your kids think that you're dumb. Um it's okay. You my kids don't think much of it they're because like, oh, you don't no because you don't have a gold medal, right? And so I never like we talked about earlier, like I set goals for myself, but I set, I don't like to do things that I'm not good at. I have said that before and I don't like to set unrealistic goals. Right. And so I'm a real, like I set aggressive goals, like I'm not complacent, but I also, you know, have a relatively good understanding of what's possible and what's not. And, you know, just like we talked before about in life, like you blink and years go by. So when I started, I did not have the goal to be a president. I just wanted to get a job in the industry. And I had a boss early on who was a great mentor who was just like, do the job that you were hired to do at the best that you can and deliver for to the organization in the best way that you can and make your decisions for what's right for the organization that you're working for and the role that you have. Right. And if and if that's the mindset that you go through, and that's always kind of what keeps you focused, opportunities will kind of come. And so I was like, look, I've do I want to do this forever? Probably not, right? Like, I mean, who wants to do anything forever, right? But it's like, in, in order to go to the next step, you have to sort of master what you're currently doing. And until you've mastered what you're currently doing, or at least shown that you have the commitment to master what you're currently doing, why would anyone want to talk to you about the next thing? Like, mm -hmm. if you're not showing the commitment to master what you're supposed to be doing, and whatever you're doing right now, like how it's not like, oh, I'm going to learn a three and a half on 10 meter. Like, have you, how's your front one and a half on five meter? Like, oh, I haven't done that yet. Like, I just <laughs> want to go up, you know, I want to go up to 10 meter, right? So it's like learning the, how to master where you're at so that when you're naturally ready for the next progression, you can do it and do it successfully. So eventually I got to the point, where I was like, oh, I might be able to be a president of a team, you know, but I was 
Like I was on seven meter at that point. Right. And I was ready to take it to 10. Like I wasn't like, I wasn't still like doing dry land flips being like, I want to be a president, you know, like it's eventually one day you want to get there, but you got to realize like you know, I could actually get there now. Like you got to realize what the steps are yeah. along the way before you get to the point that you get there. Like I don't have anything against people that say this is my ultimate goal. It's Perfect. just acknowledging that you've got to show the commitment and the ability at multiple different levels before you get to that point. Right. And I describe it as like I, I grew up in gymnastics and diving. Like you do something too fast, you get hurt mm-hmm. really bad. And so when that's your mindset growing up, like when you take that to a work environment, if you try to go too fast and you're used to like, oh, I might die if I take that up, you know, too quickly, you have a way of learning how to pace yourself and knowing when you're ready to to do the next thing. I love it. Those are perfect analogies. Another thing, maybe we can do an analogy for a metaphor for, I get asked a lot in diving, like, did you ever want to quit? Did you ever, was there something that just made you want to give up? And like, how did you get through that? Or why did you not quit? Like, have you ever felt like that in your business life? Cause you, I mean, are on a fast trajectory. You have twins. Like I can't imagine balancing some of what you're doing and you're like working way downtown, you know, and making the drives and things like that. Like, I'm sure there were a lot of pressures at some point. Like, did you ever feel like giving up or maybe this isn't for me or I should do something else? Yeah. I mean, it, I think during COVID, like that was a, you know, in the industry that I'm in, like it's a lot, right? Like you don't control everything, right? Mm -hmm. Like our product is, yes, we have a live experience and yes, it's 360 and it's everything that goes into it. But at the end of the day, it is a bunch of, you know, young men who have worked their entire life to reach a dream that are going to deliver a product for you on the court, right? And my team's job is to make sure that it's fun and it's exciting and the music is cool and all the ancillary entertainment creates a home court advantage, right? But at the end of the day, you know, it's young men that are on the court, you know, putting their heart and souls into a sport performing that I don't control, you know. And so that can be stressful because you don't know what's going to happen on on any given day, you know, and it's nights and it's weekends. And we also operate the building. And so there's a lot of concerts and mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's a lot of time, quote unquote, away from your family. But all jobs are like that, right? Mm-hmm. If you're in healthcare, if you're a lawyer, if you're anything, like there's nights and weekends and travels with everything. At least mine is scheduled. Like next week, we're going to get the NBA schedule and I'm going to know exactly. And I'll send it to my friends and be like, if you want to know where I am, (laughs) here's where I'm going to be for the next six months. So it's hard. And so at COVID, when kind of the world stopped and you were at home and you were working from home and my husband was in the industry for a really long time. And so it was like kind of a double whammy for our family, but it also just became our lifestyle, like my kids are seat snobs in all things, music, concerts, theater, sports, (laughs) like all of it, but it's hard. So like coming out of COVID, I was like, I don't know, am I going to, am I going to want to go back to this commitment or do I like this kind of slower pace? Right. And like I said before, with my life, like I like things kind of scheduled out. And I remember telling my husband, I was like, I'm either going to slow down or speed up. Like there's no in between with me. Like if so, depending on what happens, kind of coming out of COVID and how the industry bounces back with live events and are we going to ba- be at full capacity? I'm like, if this is going to be a slow burn, like I might want to slow down, right? And take a step back. Or the opportunity to be a team president is going to come in there. And we came out of it and my predecessor had decided to leave and I got the opportunity and I sped up. So <laughs> yeah. So, and no uh, looking back. Yeah. No looking back. So I'm all in now. 
<laughs> so to pivot from that, like you're one of only a handful of women who have made it to the top of the NBA. Like, what is that like? I mean, there's a lot, like, I feel a lot of pressure there of like it being something that one, you have to be good at, two, you have to succeed. And three, you have to make sure that, you know, you're setting the stage for other people to follow and creating opportunity. I've never felt like I'm the only woman. Like I've always felt accepted and and been in a place to succeed. But people ask me all the time, like, how do you make sure that's the case? I was like, well, you can't, just like we talked about before, like you can't take the dive up to 10 meter if you're still on dry land. So there's gotta be people, right, at every level that are ready to take the next step. And so now that I'm in the position that I'm in, like one of the things that we do all the time, like, so whether it's our DEI initiatives, you know, people of color on different backgrounds, different communities, you know, women is making sure that we're looking at our organizations as, you know, we want to make sure that we're setting the stage so that people have the opportunity to be in this position. Like, (laughs) like they can't be at 10 meter. They're not at seven meter and they're not at five. They're Mm -hmm. not at three and they're not at one. And so that, that's sort of the important part of developing is making sure that you've, that you're putting people in a position to where they can take things to the next level. I love that. And you're, you're one of the founding members of Wise Houston, right? We are. Yeah. So tell us about that organization and what you guys do. So WISE is Women in Sports and Events, and it was, it's a a super cool story. Like, I'm going to get the years wrong, but it was 25, 27 years ago. There were some women in New York that were in the industry, and one of the ladies um, had a contract that, or as the story goes, I'm sure I'm getting part of it wrong, you know, had a contract that was expiring and needed some advice on, hey, I've got a meeting tomorrow to figure out what's next. If anyone can meet me at, you know, X restaurant, I could use some advice. They all showed up. Oh, wow. And like, we're so glad you asked. Like, we need this. And they just got to talking and, you know, you blink and they decided to form this organization to be kind of a resource for for women in the industry. So just like we talked about before, like you go to college and you go to this huge space and you're trying to find your own way. It's like, how do you find your people that are going to help you navigate and give you the confidence to exist in this big, big world. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's how I started. And it started in New York. And then then it was just based out of New York. And then they started creating chapters. And I was asked by some other wonderful women in the city who had lived in other cities where Wise had a chapter. And then they moved to Houston, which is obviously like the largest city. Mm-hmm. Like, how does Houston not <laughs> have a chapter? And, you know, I tell my team all the time, like I've been at the Rockets for a really long time and Houston is super awesome. And when you live here, it's really hard to leave for a variety of reasons, but sometimes you don't know what you're missing out until mm-hmm. people show you. And so these wonderful women who had been in other cities that had wise chapters were like, we don't have a chapter, but we need this number of kind of executive women to sponsor so that we could raise enough money and you had to go to national and get approved. So we were part of the group that got the Houston chapter approved and probably 2016, maybe 2017. Yeah, that's cool. And you guys do different mentorships. And- yeah, so there's about 200 women that participate. Yeah, we just had a call. I'm on the, um, we call it Wise Within, but it's the mentor mentee committee. So people can apply and we like, we match mentors and mentees and we only match you if we think you have a good you have a good match. And so we just finished our matches for the year. And so about two weeks, we have a we have a fun outing where people are going to meet their mentors kind of for the first time. And yeah, it's great. That's fun. Well, I want to talk about like pivoting and we probably should have picked this up a few minutes ago, but with with COVID and how crazy that was, I mean, and you had the experience of like, am I going to keep doing this or am I going to move on? 
But that was a big pivot for everyone. And you guys in the NBA did something completely dramatic to try to keep going. And you did this whole bubble thing. Like, <laughs> what was that whole experience? I mean, about like, walk us through it. It was kind of crazy. I remember being in your house sometime and you're talking about it. And I was like, I just can't even wrap my head around trying to make this thing happen. The league office did a wonderful job with that. And obviously our partners at Disney were were fantastic and they had a great setup to do it. But, you know, it was such a hard time and it's still, you know, it's still a hard time, right? But it's, you also have to learn to continue to move on with life, right? And how do you do anything in a safe way after something dramatic, you know, is happening or, or happening? And so like, that's what the power of sport does. Like it allows people to see things through a different lens. And so, yeah, so they created the bubble in Orlando, like at Disney, and they were able to take something. And then how do you partner with other organizations? So they partnered with healthcare and they perfected testing, right, from that environment. So they were able to study different things and the NBA was able to provide a pretty cool experience to people who were at home where they still got to watch, you know, the sport that they loved, but it was hard. I mean, it's, if you travel for work, that's difficult. Like if you're married, if you have a family and you have to go away and you have to be separated and, you know, people see athletes that in certain sports in certain areas who make a lot of money. Right. But it's, it's really hard. Like these guys had to leave their family for a long and couldn't leave for months like two and a half months right like and you know if you and if you advance farther it was longer like that's really hard and it's a sacrifice and it's easy to be like if you pay me 10 million dollars i would do it too like of course you would do it right but it doesn't mean that it's easy that it's easy right and so so they did the bubble and we experimented with you know from a from a business standpoint like you typically deliver a live event in front of people in a building and when that's taken away like how do you bring that that's a big pivot <laughs> like how do you bring that experience to people so yeah. you know our staff drove all around the city delivering like fan packs to all of our season ticket holders and clients like throughout the city and we dropped them off safely in masks with the, with hand sanitizer like on their on their front doors with just like fan packs and we had yard signs that thanked the healthcare workers and you know I tell myself all the time like think about how stressed out we were about like what are the regulations going to be how how many feet need to be between fans who needs to wear a mask who doesn't who needs to be tested who doesn't what areas can go in xyz and all these things change and you're just you're hosting an event and like and think about what that was like to be in a hospital or to be in a healthcare worker when things were changing you know every day it's just it's crazy and what you know what what we say about it 20 years from now will be insane <laughs> i'm sure yeah. Well, what, how did you guys like as you're starting to bring people back in the venue and you're trying in where live events were shut down completely for a long period of time? Like, how did you guys keep it going and like try to bring people back in? Like, what were your kind of like, how did you pivot in those moments? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it was was regulated. So we either had the ability to do it or not to do it. So for concerts who typically, you know, when concerts tour, they're national tours. Mm-hmm. And so in order for those to be economically viable, you generally have to be on a national tour. And so given every state was different, you weren't seeing arena tours happening um, at that level because if you can only tour in four states, right? right, It just, it, it didn't make sense. And then the league set some really good protocols where they felt like they could do it safe and travel and, you know, the team, they're on charter planes, so they're not, you know, they're independent. And then they were playing in buildings, some with no fans, 
that was actually a pet peeve of mine is when everyone would say they're playing with no fans. We're playing with fans. We have fans all across the globe. We're just not playing with live audiences. People are watching them on TV. So I caught myself um, slipping back into the, into the no fans. So we were playing with fans. We always had fans. They just could not be all in the building at the same time. Yeah. So our capacity was a little, it was about 3,500, 3,000 to 3,500 at Toyota center. If you include the suites and the, and the, and the social distancing. So we did the best that we could with what we could to, in order to provide people that were comfortable, like Mm -hmm. an opportunity to just get out and have Mm -hmm. some normalcy and, uh, you know, and an escape and a cool environment, but also in a safe way. And then when the CDC and health officials and and local government officials decided that it was, people were ready to come back, we hosted, it was May 15th of 2021, we hosted a UFC event. Um, which was actually the first full capacity indoor arena event in the country after COVID. Oh, cool. And it was, it was at Toyota center. And so that was, that was certainly a challenge to make sure that we did, did all the it. things and, right. Yeah, yeah. That you did all, that you did all the things that you did. All I things, would imagine right. there's a lot of pressure from a lot of different places yeah. that you yep. have to do this by the book. Right. Yeah. Yep. Man. So this really kind of just crazy high position and a family and you know, how, how do you balance it all? Like, I feel like I drink wine with my friends and I do their podcast on Friday night and we order pizza. (laughs) Okay. That's a good answer. (laughs) No, I mean, like I, I always, people ask me that I'm like, there, there is no balance. Like you juggle and sometimes you drop stuff and you got to pick it back up and you got to juggle again. I mean, that's how I feel, but like, how do you like approach that? Yeah. I mean, that's the same way people all all the time. Like what's a work-life balance. I'm like, it doesn't like, it doesn't exist. Like it's a yin and a yang and they have to coexist because to assume that you are a person outside of your profession, these are two totally separate things is just a concept that maybe some people can do it. Like I can't do it. Like I am who I am. The same person on this podcast. If I am, if you listen to one that I did, like in an industry area, like I am me, <laughs> that is, <laughs> that is what, that is what you're going to get. But there's, um, sent Marshall, who's the CEO of the Dallas Mavericks has, I'm going to steal this from her. Like she's, she's talked a lot about being a, a high level women executive and she was at AT&T for a long time. And now she's, she's at the Mavericks and she'll talk about those juggling those balls. And she's like, some of the balls are rubber and some of them are glass. Yeah. And she's like, just don't ever drop a glass one. Mm. Right. Or do your best not to drop one. Right. Yeah. So, so you got to prioritize as a, any, any person, particularly a woman, but anyone in any business and any sport and anything is what are your glass balls and what are your rubber balls? Right. Mm. And just don't drop, do everything that you can to protect the glass balls. Cause when those bounce, they're really hard to put back together and the rubber ones will bounce back and you'll pick them up. Right. Yeah. And so that's prioritizing. Like, have I missed a kid's sporting event? Absolutely. I've missed a kid's sporting event. Right. But not if I don't have to, mm-hmm. you know, and prioritizing what they have to is that like some things can't change. Like if I have to go out of town on a certain date. I have to go out of town. Right. But Monday is high school orientation that me as an idiot thought was Monday night. And today I found out that it is not Monday night. It is at 8.30 on Monday morning. And so I had to cancel two meetings and I had to reschedule them because I'm going to high school orientation with my kids. Like that's a glass ball, not dropping it. And the two meetings were rubber balls. Now those two meetings, depending on what they were, could have been the glass balls and my kids could have been the rubber balls, right? But you just have to make those decisions and you have to work at a place and you have to work with people and you have to be in an environment that respects that, right? And 
I'm super fortunate that the Rockets and the Fertitta family and like respect that and have been there. And so I'm able to do that. I love that. I think that's so awesome. What kind of advice would you give to athletes coming up that maybe want to do something like this? Like, what is your kind of, first of all, just advice in their sport as they're still competing, but advice also when they retire their sport and move on? Because like you said, that will happen to all of us, even me eventually. We will finally move on at some point. Well, if you're a swimmer, be nice to the divers. Like they're doing more (laughs) than just sitting in the hot tub and stretching. So like, it's the, like, I might not be able to swim a 200 fly quickly, But like, I could probably finish it, might DQ, but I won't die. (laughs) And you can't go to 10 meter and throw a dive and not die. So that's the, so swimmers be nice to divers. Outside of that, I would say do not stress out about not being able to have an internship. Like that is my biggest thing to call any college athlete. And it was stressful for me. I'm like, how am I going to get a job? I've never had an internship, right? And it's at the end of the day, you didn't have an internship. Like you had a full-time job for four years while you were, while you were in college, like your It's a mindset shift. Yeah. It's a mindset shift. And I I didn't think about this when I was in school, I was just stressed out about not having an internship. And it wasn't until after it's like the amount of work that you put in and the skill set and the challenges that you overcame in your sport and competing was more than an internship. Like you literally had a job. Um, so that that would be my biggest thing is don't don't stress out about not having an internship. And be willing to move wherever you get that job. And be willing to move wherever you're to get the job. And if someone offers you a ticket sales job, take it. Don't be a snot, <laughs> right? Like, like I was originally. So Gretchen, thank you so much for coming on, for humoring us and just being real and laying it all, all out on the table because that's what we learned from. That's how we you know, get advice and and learn how to pick ourselves up and and move on. So thank you. Thanks for having me. (laughs) We are. (laughs) Gretchen Shear, welcome to the Pursuit of Gold podcast. I am so excited we are doing this in your house with a glass of amazing wine with a diver on the label. Um, It's going to be awesome. Yes. Have this. (laughs) Yes. So, okay. For... People who are watching may know you are this incredible woman, you know, just tackling like the NBA from the corporate side. You are breaking all these barriers, shattering all these 